DJ Benny James. Welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to be here once again for you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for pressing play. I have three guests in the studio today in my home studio. That's right, three guests. They are from Embracing Race, The Conversation. So what we're going to do, we're talking about race today, which uh, for some people is an uncomfortable subject, but I think it's important that we have discussions about things that are uncomfortable. And who better to have them with than people that have started an organization to try to combat some of the problems that we're having in this world. So let's do some introductions. We have Minna here, we have Marianne and Tony. Tony, would you like to go first and tell us who you are and what is Embracing Race? Hi, I'm Tony DeSantis. I am one of the founders of Embracing Race, The Conversation. The purpose of our organization is so that white people can figure out racism, figure out how it exists, how it works, where it comes from, and what we need to do to mitigate it. And one of the main things I tell people, it's not your fault. Systematic racism, which is what we address, is something that we were born into. It's something we breathe. It's something we walk in and swim in. And it's nobody's fault, but it is something we have to look at. So it's something that nobody has to take any blame for, but something that everyone has to take responsibility for. Right. So you are a co-founder along with Marianne. When did you guys start up this organization? Uh, we started it in June of 2018. And I'm going to say probably five years before that, I was at a workshop and a black priest was giving a talk on the violence of racism. And at the end of it, I went up and said, wow, that was great. Let's have all the communities meet together and talk about it. And uh, he kind of gave me a real funny look and said, you guys need to talk amongst yourselves. So I was put off by that, but it really put me on a journey. And once I did my own homework and reading and discussion, I went back to him and said, okay, now what do we do? Well, that's great. You took that um, not as an insult, but more as an opportunity to do something about it yourself. Um, Minna, how do you know these guys? I was introduced to uh, Mary and Tony about six months after the uh, organization started. They sort of like embraced me because they liked my perspective on things. Right. And, um, I just kind of keep everybody in, in check, you know, <laughs> basically. <Okay. laughs> we'll mention for what it's worth, Tony and Marianne are both white and Mena is black. I don't know if that makes any difference, but there's obviously different perspectives on what we're going to talk about today and different vantage points of how we grew up, right? And I actually found out about embracing race, uh, the conversation. Um, I was at church and somebody came and gave a presentation. Was that you? Okay, so what I found really interesting about that, you stood up there and I think one of the first things you said is, um, I'm white. And we started talking about acknowledging that you're white. It was profound for me because I've never even thought about my color. I never have thought about my color. Why? Because I don't need to think about my color. I just go along my life happily, happy-go-lucky, and I'm Ben or I'm Benny James. I'm just a man walking around the streets. I never have to think about my color. If I'm going in a store, if I get stopped by the police or whatever, I'm not thinking about my color. It doesn't affect me. So I think that presentation 
was an eye-opener for me as a white man realizing wow I'm white and the liberation that comes with that so I want to get to some great conversation with you guys about this but first I want to play a song that addresses a lot of this what we're talking about today this is called skin I'm in by cameo but we're gonna come straight back with some great questions for you said sounds of a cameo one of my favorites never gets played that one so tony um why was it important for you as a white man to 
give your perspective to other white people, I assume. It's something that I've been aware of for a long time. I grew up in the place where they filmed Rocky. So everything that you see in all those movies, including Creed, that was my existence as a young man. And there was always in the air a fear of black people. Okay. The N-word was said constantly. We never used the term colored. We never used the term Negro. We used the big N-word. Right. Okay. That's how it was when I grew up. I also happened to be, at that time, exposed to a nun at Our Lady Help a Christian School in Philadelphia who happened to be a New Deal Democrat. And needless to say, those two perspectives caused a lot of cognitive dissonance in me. So I really couldn't figure out who was right. So I had to do a lot of work to try to figure out who was right. You know, whose ideas about black people were correct. Fortunately, we happened to be living during the time of Vatican II, which helped me come to this experience. But even though I could intellectually do that, emotionally, I was still living in that. And I was still breathing in that. And there are parts of me that respond unconsciously the way that people in my neighborhood respond. So even though I may not agree with it intellectually, logically, I still feel it emotionally. Mm. As someone once said, racism is not in, really in the mind. It's in the heart. It's in your gut. It's in your bones. Right. And that's why it's so hard to deal with, because you're dealing with the medulla, the lizard brain, because that's where it ends up. That's where it's implanted. And it's very hard to deal with that. Right. Marianne, let me ask you a question real quick. I've been hearing a lot on the news recently about this uh, critical race theory. It's driving me bananas listening to it. I don't understand why people are not comfortable talking about history. It's American history. And why not? Can you talk a little bit on this? Yes, I actually just submitted an opinion to the um, Inquirer, so I'm hoping it gets printed. I'm not really sure why either. I mean, that's a puzzle that we deal with. I mean, we have people that come to our meetings that are really open to understanding racism and people who are um, really wanting to know more, and then you have the critical race theory component. So I'm just going to say there are people that are afraid of something, um, and I, I honestly couldn't say. You know, to me, it goes back to white supremacy. Well, yeah, and, and this whole thing to me really is is fear-based, right? It's not having the exposure to people. I met Minna. Minna's a wonderful person. We got talking. We connected immediately. I don't care what color she is. She's just a good person. And I've traveled the world. I play black music, and I meet so many blacks, and I spend time with them. They become my family. It's exposure. And, but if you meet somebody that you don't understand their culture, you haven't been part of their life, you don't have nothing about them. So you're just fearful of even not knowing, having that exposure with other people. So for people out there that haven't even heard this term before, because I have a lot of international audience that listen to this and they might not even know what critical race theory is. Do you have a good explanation of that, or Tony? Critical race theory is something that is taught at a collegiate and graduate school level. Okay. What is happening in America is that people are conflating this academic theory with the teaching of black history, period. And this is deliberate. People deliberately do this because this is a way that white supremacists like to scare other white people. So they talk about this term critical race theory. Politicians attack this even though it really isn't there. 
I mean, in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin just signed a law that prohibits the teaching of critical race theory in elementary schools. It's not taught in elementary schools. Right. Yeah, I just want to jump in because we keep mentioning black history, but I think as you mentioned, Benny, it's not black history. It's U.S. history, and yeah. that's the problem. It's American history. People right. are afraid to deal with the truth, and they'll go to great lengths to protect, well, their comfort. Right, right, precisely. Minna, I know that um, the Black Lives Matter thing, does that affect what you guys have been working on as well? Absolutely, Um each month we have a uh, topic that we choose to discuss amongst the uh, participants. And when this George Floyd incident happened, I mean, that opened up the doors for a lot of great conversations for our organization. And um, of course, a lot of people get upset by us saying Black Lives Matter. And they think that we are trying to um, diminish that other people's lives matter. Right. And all we're trying to do is bring to the forefront that black people are human beings too and right. we need to be treated as such yeah i think um ah, there's been a lot of uh, like fear-mongering going on and things blown out of proportion and it's so funny because that term black lives matter just matter they just matter and uh, people got a problem with that like they matter black people matter and um you know i, I put something out on youtube and i was talking about uh, black lives matter and i was saying think of the plight of the elephants for example they're poaching the elephants the elephants are almost dying right and there's let's say there's five elephants left on the planet and we're saying like just please stop killing the elephants and people say yeah well what about rhinos and what about giraffes i'm like really get this in perspective here so i think um it was more of a call to action really and just like a hey guys yeah. you know you know i i think it's a little deeper than fear i think it's ignorance mm. i think it's the fact that if you don't know any better this is where you're going to wind up and we've been taught from day one i mean we've been indoctrinated actually yes we have in our school systems and every other institution that there's one way of thinking and it's that white supremacist way of right. thinking. Yeah, it's, it's not only that as well. I think it, a lot of it is also parenting as well. Mm -hmm. I thought of something earlier on today before we did this show. I was thinking about my son when he was just uh, five years old. He was in France and he was playing in a playground and he didn't speak a lick of French, right? And this little French boy came up to him and started signaling him body language, come and play with my son. They played the whole day. They had a complete blast, completely different languages, completely different cultures. But these kids, because they don't have the education of stay away from this person, person or be fearful of this person they just played and had an amazing time so it just shows you but let's play one more record and then we'll get back to some more questions this is a uh, black pumas and this is called colors Woke up to the morning sky first Baby blue just like we rehearsed When I get up off this ground I shake leaves back down To the brown, 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 brown Till I'm clean Downtown, town, town, in style. 
That's a new song for me, just downloaded that a couple weeks ago. Was told to get that album and uh, wow. It's definitely got that organic feel. Thank you for joining us today, guys. We really appreciate it. Don't turn off, man. Let's uh, keep this conversation going. So, Tony, talk to us a little bit about uh, segregation. A lot of people think that uh, that's been and gone. It's What's your comments on that? Segregation is, number one, not just a Southern phenomenon. And number two, it's something that has been going along even to this day. One of the great myths about segregation is that we think that it only happened in the South and there's only segregation by law in the South. The fact is, federal policies, particularly federal housing policies, dictated segregation. That was the redlining, right? Yes, the redlining. This was federal law. There were federal laws that said you can only have so many black people or no black people in a neighborhood before they started redlining the neighborhood. This was not segregationist policy. This was federal policy. And the thing about this federal policy is that it continued all the way to in New Jersey till the Mount Laurel decision in 1970. So this is something that was happening in my lifetime. And the thing about this segregation is that you can't just change the law and all of a sudden segregation disappears. It's there. The suburbs in America were segregated from the very beginning. They were segregated for almost for 20 years at least. You know, where how who got the loans, what school systems you went to, all of this was propagated 
by a national policy that believed that black people need to be segregated from the rest of us. And this is something that an ethnic like me, who happens to be half Italian and half Austrian, never had to experience. Right. Because my uncles, my aunts, they could get the loans. They could get to the suburbs. They could build up wealth as a result of it. Because remember, the primary source of wealth in American life for middle class, working class people is their home. Yes. And the fact is, is that if you can move into the suburbs, if you can move into the exclusive places, then you have a lot more wealth. Yes. Marianne, would you like to comment on that? Just to add that wealth is generational. And again, to um, Tony's point about segregation, um, in New Jersey to this day, our schools seem to be getting worse. Uh, we're like the seventh most segregated schools in the country. So that's a big deal. Right, right. I wow. think education is so important. And so, you know, when you look at that. Yeah. I was reading something as well um, the other day on voting rights and, uh, you know, there's voter suppression and everything else. This stuff is still going on today. The uh, reason why there's uh, voter suppression is becoming so much a issue again as well, not that it ever really went away, is because the black vote is the vote that counts now. The black vote is the vote that determines who is in the office, even up as far as the presidency. Um, right. The powers to be now know that it's the black folk that counts, that puts people in office. So if they find ways to take that right away from you, right. your vote no longer counts and they can place whoever they want. It's about controlling the masses. Right. Yeah, hearing the stuff in the news and, and hearing that they're actually uh, trying to stop people from voting, it's mind-blowing. But anyway, I'm going to play one from James Brown. This is an absolute classic. It's uh, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Ah!
one of my all-time favorite artists for sure, Mr. James Brown. I was lucky enough to see him in Paris about a year before he died. And boy, he still had it. He still had it, man. He was amazing. All right, let's get back to these questions. Marianne, you were saying something about during the break. You were talking about a classic backlash. What is that? What, what are you talking about? Historically, whenever there's been any kind of progress by, by blacks, there is a concerted effort to keep them down, keep that under control. Even as far back as Bacon's Rebellion, after that, um, slave codes were enacted. And a lot of people feel like after the Civil War, we had Reconstruction, everything was great. But as soon as Reconstruction started, the Southern states were busily working on black codes. And those were very strict. They basically called it slavery by another name. Uh, many people died. They were sold off. Uh, they could sell off their prison time to people who could work them to death, literally. And beyond that, there was Jim Crow, and then there was, um, I forget what the backlash after that was, but after the civil rights movement, the war on drugs, and then we have voter suppression laws popping up all over the country. Martin Luther King talked about it um, in his, you know, chaos or community book. Um, So it's it's classic. Right. Let me ask Minna something real. I'm going to be a devil's advocate here and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I've asked in the past and I know the answers to them now, but maybe a lot of people don't. So there's something on the radio I've been listening to recently on a local radio station. It's called the Black Information News Network. And then on TV, there was the Black Entertainment TV, right? And I had an issue with these things growing up, right? I'm like, why do blacks have to have their own black magazines, their own black TV shows, their own black radio? And I, as a white man, I felt kind of offended by that why is that right uh, can you speak on that a little bit in okay. the beginning i thought that it all worked for us because we were never acknowledged as a people and i think we wanted not only to be acknowledged but we wanted to become informative so that other people of other nationalities would actually begin to understand where we come from and our perspective you wanted to be represented absolutely right but now that coming along in my years and having a more broader uh, look on life, I see where it is troublesome because now it's like we're isolating ourselves from the rest of the community. And as far as how I speak on the Black History Month, in the beginning, it, it was a, a very good idea. But what I feel now every day is, is American history and Sometimes by saying this is Black History Month, we're falling into that game of separation. And that's something that we need to get away from. I remember Morgan Freeman, I think it was in a 60 Minutes interview where he was like, I'm not interested in Black History Month. I don't want Black History Month. He said, what, what are you? He's talking to interview. He says, I'm Jewish. He said, OK, you want, you want Jewish History Month? What do you want? Like, like, right, exactly. I'm not interested. Exactly. And uh, he said, and they, they asked him, well, how are we going to get rid of racism? And he said, um, we need to stop talking about it. And I, I kind of understand that because he was explaining like, I know you as Minna, right? You know me as Benny. You don't, I don't know you as Black Minna. You're just Minna. So he said, the moment we stop that conversation about Colin, we start talking about the person, then that will help. I don't know though, because I think the conversation is important to move us in the right direction. Any comments on those? What we want is an integrated history month. We need to understand that Black people have been an integral part of our history. And all you have to do is go to the White House and go to the U.S. Capitol. Both of those places were constructed by slaves. Mm. The railroads in the South were constructed by black people. One of the things people don't realize about slavery is that people contracted slaves to do other work. 
So much of the infrastructure, many of the state capitals were built by black people. And I'll go further than that. Think about what white men did to black women. Yes. Every fair-skinned black person in America is part of the legacy of slavery. And that's something white people are really uncomfortable about talking about. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. We're going to go to another track here, and then we're going to um, carry on with this conversation. Uh, this one here is a song that made this lady very, very famous. The track is called Brown Skin. It's by India Ari. Brown skin, you know I love your brown skin I can't tell where yours begins I can't tell where mine is Brown skin, up against my brown skin Need some every now and then Mississippi or Island Apparently your skin has been kissed by the sun You make me want a Hershey's kiss Your licorice Every time I see your lips It makes me think of honey-coated chocolate Your kisses are worth more than gold to me I'll be your almond joy You'll be my sugar daddy Brown skin you know I love your brown skin. I can't tell where yours begins. I can't tell where mine is. Brown skin up against my brown skin. Need some every now and then. Magnetic pulls me and I can't get out Disoriented, I can't tell my up from down All I know is that I want to lay you down Every time I let you in Abracadabra magic happens as we swim Higher and higher, finally we reach heaven Come back to earth Once again, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. We're doing this today in honor of Black History Month, which is funny because we're talking about do we even need a Black History Month? It's American history. But we have Minna here with us. We have Maryam here with us. And we have Tony here with us. Thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you're enjoying this experience. 
going to go to a song by uh, Maze, one of my favorite groups, and uh, we're going to start leaning towards the positive end and what, how we can make changes. This one is called We Are One, and uh, one of my favorites, like I said. Listen to the words in this one. It's just beautiful. want to give a big shout out to all my supporters thank you thank you for sharing and caring and if you haven't already signed up to become a premium member please join me just go to djbennyjames.supercast.com there's all different levels you can support and listen to bonus material i try and post something each and every week for you 
also to the people that are listening on LSR, lovesoulradio.net. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to all the DJs and talent that we have on the radio station. If you want to download your free app, just go to lovesoulradio.net. Right there, you can download your iPhone or Android app right there. Okay, Marianne, during the break, you was going to say something. You said you had a funny story about embracing race, a conversation. What was your story? Thank you. It wasn't exactly funny, but it was really an epiphany, I guess. Okay. Uh, the beauty of our group is it's mainly white people, but we are blessed that people of color are willing to engage in the conversation and really offer their perspective, which for many people that come, they don't have a black perspective in their life. So one of the black leaders uh, was telling a story about how she would not allow her teenage sons to drive through Collingswood because they were afraid of white people with baseball bats and we were all kind of astonished here we are in Collingswood and that's in a little suburb in New Jersey and one of the white women said it never occurred to me that black people would be afraid of white people you know that was just like a really profound eye-opening statement we all knew the white people are always afraid of black people for really no valid reason but here you know this was this other perspective right the thing is is that White people have been violent against black people for a long time. And in fact, white people have been violent against Chinese. They've been violent against immigrants. Whiteness, which is white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism, has always been afraid of others. In fact, one of the things that, that I've read is that when the Ku Klux Klan went national, they said, you can tailor your, your message. You can attack immigrants in the Northeast. You can attack black people in the South. You can attack Chinese and Japanese people in the West. And in the interior, you can attack Native Americans. In fact, you are more likely as a Native American to be killed by a police officer while unarmed than any other ethnic group is in America. And it's something that's not even on the radar. Right. We don't even talk about that. Um, One more thing. White fragility. Who wants to talk about that? Oh, yeah, I'll pass this to Tony okay. because um, <laughs> I have a lot to say, and I think he, he's a safer choice at this point. Okay. You know, white fragility is when someone gets very defensive or when somebody gets very feels very guilty about racism. And the problem with that is that none of that is helpful because, you know, it doesn't matter how angry or how defensive or how guilty you feel. It doesn't change anything. You can't change anything if you're trying to process be feeling guilty or feeling scared or being angry about being accused of something. And the second thing that people need to understand is that it's not about you. Racism is not about you individually. It is about an entire system. Mm. And it's and people don't want to talk about that cuz people benefit from it and they don't want to see it. And as I said, we Americans are very good at this. I mean, this is why we run to the suburbs. This is why we run to the exurbs. This is why people from Southern California move to places like Colorado and Idaho and and Northern Washington, because just not dealing with it. And this is what Americans have done throughout our history. You know, when things get uncomfortable, we run away and we don't want to deal with them. You know, Eric Holder said as the Attorney General of the United States, when it comes to talking about race, we're cowards because we're never taught how to talk about race. 
Right. On that note, I want to talk after this next song about a way forward for us as a people, as humans, because I think a lot of this stuff, racism, goes on obviously in different countries as well around the world. So I want to talk about that a little bit more right after this one. But this is appropriate song, One Love, Bob Marley. definitely what we need more of in this world wouldn't it be beautiful if we could all just get along and love each other marianne how can people find out more information about embracing race the conversation they can visit our website it's embracing race conversation.org and if you uh, visit the website you can sign up and then you'll get our um, emails and i send out probably two or three <laughs> Minutes as a hundred, uh, two or three a week at least, right. <laughs> and then we have a monthly meeting. So we send out the Zoom link, and we meet on the second Thursday of every month. And we have a meeting coming up next Thursday, and that's at seven p.m. via Zoom, and that's U.S. Eastern Standard Time. So anybody can join that because it's Zoom around the world. Anybody can join that. Okay. We'd love to have that. Um, to I'll have put you. that link in the show notes. I'll also put your website uh, in the show notes as well. Great. And one question I have for you for you all which i'd like your own individual perspective on this is how do we end racism what is the best way forward for us as a people mm-hmm. thanks that's a something that we're always um thinking about my personal view i've come to believe that it really has to be a personal decision 
and not just, oh, I'm going to stand out and protest today. I'm going to join the ranks. I'm going to, you know, do some charity. Not that. It's a personal look inward uh, when we can say to ourselves, there's something not right about this. I need to understand it better and really take that with a totally open mind and an open heart. Be willing and not fragile. Be willing to listen, take it in, and by all means, join us. Because if you're on that journey, you will need support. Because it's very easy to just ignore what you know what it's like if you're not white. Right. So that's my okay. That's my thought. Tony, courage, courage. Okay. We need courage to look at ourselves, to look at the system, and we need to have courage to be willing to do something to change it that's what we need because you know love is not enough we need mm -hmm. courage we definitely need courage what do you think Mena? wow this is a tough one um uh i personally i i don't know you know it's hard to say but uh give you an idea of uh, what a very very wise woman and she was a uh, doctor of philosophy as well as a psychologist and my mother said um One of the ways that we will is once all the baby boomers have died off, you know, because <laughs> it's a lot of work that's been done to keep racism alive. And a lot of folks get upset with me when I say we need to tear the system down and start it over because the current system is not working at all. So I don't know the re correct answer. Love, you know, look in the mirror. It starts with the man in the mirror, as Michael Jackson would say. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. We need to look at each other as human beings. Look at each other for uh, what we're worth, and not what you're afraid of. You have to look beyond it. Right, and that's one of the things I loved about uh, Martin Luther King. He would just keep re-emphasizing the character of the person, not the pigment of their skin. You know, I think that's really important. I've met plenty of people who are white that are horrible and horrible people, right? And I met plenty of blacks that are horrible people, but I met plenty of good blacks and good whites. It's about the person, the individual person. All right, we're going to play a Marvin Gaye track. Uh, this one is called Together We Stand. And after that, I want to talk a little bit, because I forgot to ask this earlier on, about incarceration and the disparity there. Uh, so we'll come back right after this song. Uh, but this is a great one by Marvin Gaye. Together we stand, divided we fall.
You said you had a comment about uh, the incarceration. What did you want to say about that? I just want to mention one of the um, first books that I read on my journey called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And really talking about how we have a caste system in our country. Dr. Alexander kind of points out how, you know, the war on drugs really led to mass incarceration of way disproportionately black um, people and our incarceration rate in our country, like, quadrupled or quintupled some you know astronomical increase uh, but really because it's so disproportionately black it was just like the next step in controlling black people right um, so I think we've had some progress in the last few years but again it's still something that that is a big factor and what Michelle Alexander argued is when inmates were coming out they were not allowed to vote they were unable to get a job you know their families were disrupted for all those years and these were for you know fairly minor drug offenses with lots of evidence showing that their white counterparts were committing the same crimes but maybe had less access to legal assistance and for other reasons but again the impact rippled way beyond the arrest right right let me ask this question uh, before we uh, close out here because we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, the insurrection. So if we had, um, let's say, um, 30,000 black people ascended on the uh, Capitol and they were the insurrectionists, what, what would it have looked like? Would it have looked different? What do you think, Mena? How many people would have made it home that day? Oh, none. But first of all, we wouldn't do that because if you notice uh, our Million Man March, um, every march that we've had on the Capitol has been a peaceful thing because we don't have that I, I, sometimes I actually believe that African-American or black people don't have that DNA. You know, we don't have that type of stuff in us, you know, from the door. But All right. Well, listen, it's been a conversation today. And um, if you've stuck with us through this uh, show, we appreciate it. You know, it's important to talk, right? And this is why you guys set up this organization. It's important to talk and discuss about things that are uncomfortable, especially for whites who feel uncomfortable to talk about race issues. We need to talk about it. White people need to be honest. We need to open up communication. And we need to break down those barriers of being fearful of something we don't even know. Trust me, I've been there, I've done it. Black people have embraced me like family and it's just been an amazing thing. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. I know you guys are all working hard. So I'll put the links below and just wanted to thank you for being part of this conversation today and, and allowing my platform to share what you guys are doing. Thanks so much for uh, giving us some space here. 
you are most welcome. I just want to thank you, Tony. I mean, uh, Benny. Tony, Tony sitting here next to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right, right. Yes. Yeah. No, I just want to thank you for giving us this opportunity to um, speak on what's going on out there and how we see it. That's The conversation is the important right. thing. And a lot of people might have different opinions on what we've been talking about today, and that's totally fine. You know, not everybody's going to agree with some of the things we've talked about, and that's fine. Feel free to uh, comment me. You can reach out to me on my email. It's on my website, djbennyjames.com. Uh, but like I said, there's nothing wrong with just opening up this topic so we can just talk about it today. I'm going to leave you with some uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, this is one of his speeches called We Shall Overcome. Thank you for joining us, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, love you and Allah. There's a little song within our breast with words of hope and love. The melody blends as we join hands with faith in God above. Dr. Martin Luther King now tells us of this song. There's a little song that we sing in our movement down in the South. I don't know if you've heard it, but it has become the theme song. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. No, I join hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing it. We shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it. We shall overcome. No, before this victory is won, some will have to get thrown in jail some more, but we shall overcome. Don't worry about us before the victory is won. Some of us will lose jobs, but we shall overcome. Before the victory is won, even some will have to face physical death. But if physical death is the price that some must pay to free their children from a permanent psychological death, then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome. Before the victory is won, some will be misunderstood and called bad names and dismissed as rabble-rousers and agitators, but we shall overcome. And I'll tell you why. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. We shall overcome because the Bible is right. You shall reap what you sow. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. And with this faith, we will go out and adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. And this will be a great America. We will be the participants in making it so. And so as I leave you this evening, I say, walk together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great chapter meeting in the corner.